So this is officially the start, and I want to thank you for being our first official podcast oh guest. I know, you are. The reason I'm excited about you is I've known you a number of years. I consider you someone who is fearless and who has made a lot of changes, some microscopic, that have had impact on other people's lives. But I've also watched you kind of just march ahead in your own life, even when you're nervous about things and do what needs to be done. And frequently what's right, because it benefits others as well as yourself. So thanks for being podcast number 001, first out. I am so honored. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I'm going to be um, asking you just a few questions, and we'll see where it leads, and I'm going to follow your lead. But because this podcast targets women who are similarly trying to make changes, thinking about changes, maybe nervous about making a change, that whole transition piece, I thought I'd ask you to describe a time that you um, wanted to make a change or go after something big that was scary for you and it, and just what that was like for you and maybe your process around that. Well, there have been many. And um, earlier on, you know, 35 years or so ago, um, leaving Canada to come back to the U.S. when my husband at that time was leaving a, you know, a really good job with an internationally known company uh, to strike out on his own in a field that was totally different and, you know, so different. And I, I knew that I had to be giving 150% too. That was pretty scary because I didn't know if, if we had the capacity to be successful at it. We were moving from a place that we'd lived for a long time to a place where we knew nobody to start a new business. What were we thinking? You know, that kind of a thing. Um, and that had its own struggles and... Um, and I learned something about myself then. I mean, I think the upbringing that I had, and you've heard me talk about my dad, you know, always saying to me, you can do whatever you want to do and be successful at it, um, is really what held me up through a lot of those scary decisions. But I think the most recent one, you know, be, leaving a job that I have spent most of my adult life at, um, and shifting to something that is very similar. I'm, I'm still at the food bank and still in the field, my, my chosen field. Um, that whole transition was was pretty scary, and, and you walked side by side with me through it, so knew you, you know exactly how scary it was. But it just really felt like the right thing, and I think you reach a point in your heart when you know that this is the next step you have to take. So... Um, so that's kind of held me up. I, I knew I was doing the right thing. Uh, and you have to just step out in faith because you don't know what it's, what the, what's going to happen cascading from that decision. But trust that you have the wisdom to make the choices that will make it successful. Uh, that's, that's all I can say. I mean, even if you're terrified, you know that you have the capacity to discern what, what the next step it will be. So, and I don't know if that answered your question or it not. It does answer my question. It it raises another one um, because I think part of that is w was that a simple thing or did you have limiting beliefs or any kind of obstacles that you had to work through just in your own, you know, the chatter in our heads sometimes? <laughs> yes, I do know do that. You know sometimes. that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, 
I think in, in many of the things that I've done, I've had a certain amount of confidence in my ability to do it. And then in the, you know, the three o'clock in the morning moments when you think, I just am not prepared for this. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this enough, or I'm not that enough. Or, you know, when, when you've, you've, people do this all the time, you have that thought, you know, they're going to peel it back and discover that I'm a fraud, (laughs) you know, but, um, I think the daylight always balances out those dark thoughts in the middle of the night, and we are enough. I mean, we know enough. We wouldn't have gotten to where we are today if we didn't know enough. So uh, so those are some of the dark and scary thoughts. I think one of the darkest and scariest things was when I div- my husband, my first husband and I were divorced, and I suddenly became the sole support of my children. And I had that flash of insight of, oh my gosh, this is how men frequently feel when they become parents and have this family to support. Well, that was my job then, and I all I could do was hope that I was up to it. You know, I, I, it was it was a very frightening thought. But that when you talk about scary thoughts, that was I think that was one of the scariest. What did you use for support then? Because that's a big, that's a lot to have on your shoulders. So here you are with your kids, needing to to feed them. Yeah. So what was your support, or did you have specific tools or support systems? I didn't, you know, my family, um, I was at least closer to my family. I've always, most of my life as an adult have been, you know, 3,000 miles away from my family. I was only eight hours away from my family, so um, and my my dad was still alive then, and I and my brother, and I could bounce things off of them, and that was kind of before I really had any friends in this community. So, they were my support system. I I didn't have anybody locally that I could lean on, so that was very helpful. And you know, my dad had a dad had a company at that time, and and he he said to me, he said, if you decide that being here nearer to your family is important, we'll find a place for you. You know, so that just felt emotionally like, okay, he's got my back, you know. And the other thing that was a tool for me at that time was a budget. You know, knowing what was coming in and what I had to spend and I could see it in black and white and know that I could make it. And that was, I mean, that was what allowed me to sleep at night, I think. Were you always that way growing up? Did you always have a budget and have a plan, or was that something you learned to do? How did that come about? It, well, it, I never, I never thought about it, you know, before, because that's not. I mean, at my age, one's families didn't talk about money back in those days, and so that wasn't a tool that I had in my toolbox then. But it was something that I had to learn pretty darn fast in order to. You know, through, through, you know, my first marriage, finances didn't always work. And that was, you know, creating a budget and being able to know uh, gave me a lot of peace. Uh, But that was something that I felt like I really needed to teach my kids so that they would at least have that, whether they learned it or, you know, whether they acted on it or not, at least they knew it. And then who taught that to you, though? I'm curious, like, here you are, I think about it like not knowing what you don't know. Oh, my gosh. So that's the part I'm wanting to go back to and think about. 
how did it even occur to you if, if that was never a part of your life right when did it occur to you that wow a budget that could be really helpful to me did someone tell you that did you say i just no, have I to just, do it you know when we when we moved back from canada to the us and created a this business um you know it was part of that really i think because i was the one that was keeping the books and and uh, saw and you have to you know, you have to be prepared to go to the accountant and do your income taxes. You know, somehow it seemed much more serious when it was a business than it did when it's just you. Do you know what I mean? So you made it the business of Sherry James. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so that's something that I took away, you know, for myself. And I think that's one of the challenges that kids have today. They, you know, they, they need to understand. And, um, that's one of the best tools we can give them to make their lives work, help them make their lives work. So how can you say a little bit more about how you would see that happening? And um, because I know from your own experience and the work you do, and and maybe even back up a little bit, and um, because when you're able to say, you know, that's one of the things that our kids don't have. Clearly, you're saying, may not have, yeah, may not yeah. have, right? Well, I also don't know that it's always a conversation people still have. I mean, we can talk about like are growing up our parents where you didn't talk about finances right unless you didn't talk about it to your kids right, right. it was the parents job or whomever's job right. to do that um so i'm curious how you had those conversations with your kids whether or not they picked them up or what you're seeing happening that gives you hope around that um well i think as each of them were in high school you know, my brother was, my youngest younger brother was a lot smarter and started when his kids were a lot smaller, and I really admire what he's done. And that was, you know, as they got into middle school and into high school, they would they would sit down with the kids and say, this is the money that you're going to need to get through this school year. Um, and we're going to put it in an account for you. And it's going to be up to you to pay your, you know, book fees and your meals and your this, that, and the other thing. And they got each of their children um, a credit card with the, you know, that they were a, a co-signer on so that the kids could learn how that worked. Um, I just really admired that. And if I had it to do over again, that's that's what I would do. But for me, just teaching the kids how to understand what's coming in and what's going out and and then you know, in the early days of the food bank, going to talk in high schools and helping them understand what a budget looks like. As you know, a lot in those days, some high school kids were just, you know, I'm not gonna not gonna go to college, or in some cases, not even finish high school because they were so eager to work so they could have a car or whatever. And then to put that up on the board and have them be able to see, you know, when you're making five bucks an hour and these are what your expenses are. The hole that they're starting to dig for themselves really early on is very Im Im impressive, I hope, um, to at least have kids stop and pause and say, is this something that's a smart thing? So it might seem counterintuitive or unconnected to folks listening. Why finance is such a big deal to you when your world has been in food banking? And I'm wondering if you might just say a little bit about your journey and what you know about food bank, hunger, and all of that piece. Because for folks who either need, need, 
for folks who have never experienced it or aren't understanding what's it mean to be food and what we say now, food insecure, um, where is the linkage there with high school learning finances? Well, two things. And the first thing I, I would say is coming to this community and getting a job, you know, in 1987 at the princely sum of $21,000 a year and be, and support four kids on that was, that was, you know, an education all by itself. But that was a business. And I had to, be, I was responsible for the finances of the business. So that, you know, that was important in, in that context. Today, um, what we see is that for many people, they think of you know people who experience hunger as they just they don't they don't have enough food or they're not um, or they're lazy or they're this or they're that. We've got all kinds of labels, but where most of them are or many of them are is in a financial situation that hasn't worked for them that that they they've either a hole they've dug for themselves by getting into debt or they don't have the capacity to hold down a job that is sufficient to keep a roof over their head and food on the table at the same time. You know, we know that housing costs are one of the biggest levers for food insecurity. If you've, you know, if you can't afford the rent, mostly you're going to take the food money and put it on the rent and then, you know, that's, that's another discussion altogether, you know, especially if you've got kids. So we really see economic security and economic stability as crucial to avoiding uh, food insecurity. And, you know, food costs, housing costs, utility bills, you know, childcare expenses, all of that is too much, quote unquote, when you're not earning enough to, to cover your basic needs. So what's amazing to you talk about that is I know because I have had the privilege of knowing you for many years, um, you have been the CEO and president of the food bank that you got hired at all those years ago. You grew it from a tiny organization, moved it, you know, did a geographic. It's this huge um, organization that's serving northern Nevada counties as well as the eastern counties in California from the tiny warehouse it was. Um, have put in innovative programs all to fight hunger and actually end hunger, not just fight it. And then you took this brave, in my humble opinion, brave step <laughs> to, I mean, there comes a lot of accolades with being that successful and being recognized nationally like you are as a leader in that whole um, thought movement about how to end hunger. And that came with your title as well as your mm -hmm. track record. So I think about the transition that you started and have just really finished, um, and it was a journey for you. And I wonder if you could share with folks just briefly what the decision was and the, what you decided to do rather than be the president CEO and how you got yourself through that. Um, well, you reach a certain age, you know, and you have to look and say how much how much do I have to give here I think and I still have a lot more to give but I didn't have uh, what I thought was needed for the next stage of the food bank itself uh, I mean we have operational issues and so forth and so on that 
you know, we're ready to take the next step upward. And what I am passionate about is uh, long-term ending hunger strategies. And I think, in my mind, I owed the organization that I that we built together the opportunity to have someone who was equally passionate about that. Uh, so that, you know, to take the food bank on to the next step. I, I took them on to five or six next steps, and it was, you know, this is another next step for us. So I think it just co it coincided with the time in my life. My husband is quite a bit older than I am. I, I feel like that's time that's precious to me, you know, to be able to spend with him. Time that I wanted to be able to focus on this single issue rather than multiple issues and to be responsible for myself in doing that. So those are some of the things that brought me to thinking that the time was right. And I, to anybody that's on the cusp of making such a decision, I think you know it in your heart. I, people have said that to me. You'll know when the time is right. And um, what I know is it was right the right time for me to do this, which essentially is cutting me back to half time, a little more than half time, um, in which I'll focus on the ending, long-term ending hunger strategies. Um, and I'll know when the right time for me is to move on to the next step, which would be actually retiring. But I'm not sure that I'm ever going to retire because I, there's just too much exciting stuff to do. And... And I think, like you, too much difference to make, uh, too much opportunity to see change and be part of um, helping people change how they think that's going to make the world a better place. So when you knew that you needed to make a change, did you immediately know what you needed to do to make the change? So, I mean, there is that moment where you're right. You just go, okay, this is where I have to go. I know oftentimes, for me, for sure, and for others who I've talked to, it's kind of like, uh-huh, I'm not sure I'm ready to walk through that door or make that commitment to the change. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I have doubts. Did you have any of that? Oh, it took me a year. I mean, I knew like a year ago last March, really, that it's just I woke up one morning over a weekend. Something happened on a Friday. And it just, I lived with it over the weekend, and I got up on Monday morning and thought, you know what, I think it's time for new leadership and new thinking. You know, after all, it's been, you know, my thinking and the, my, the, my team's thinking together that got us where we are, and I just thought it's time for new thinking here because I don't want to ever be a burden to hold, hold things back. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that thought came to me, and then... Over the course of the summer and into the fall, you know, I worked with, you know, you and I had a lot of conversations and, um, you know, I did some exercises in my own, you know, on my own time that really helped me understand what the steps I needed to take would be and what a reasonable timeline would be. And I got pushed a little on, on the, on the uh, back end of it because I was thinking about announcing, a, you know, the first of this year, the first of 2017, and my board chair said... And the reason that I thought that was because I felt like our board deserved to have holiday enjoyment without this hanging over their head because I knew what the reaction was going to be. Uh, but she felt like I needed to make the announcement in November, so they didn't get that opportunity. Um, and then January, you know, we hit the ground with search firms and all kinds of things like that. So I think you, you, you know when the time is, or you know when you know when it's time to make the decision, and then the timeline itself evolves. Um, 
in a more or less you know it's not always going to be exactly what you think it is but i think ballpark you can guesstimate that and at the end of it all um you know we had a new ceo in june and uh then it's taken me until now this is the middle of october to stop doing what i call milling around which is kind of not knowing what the heck i'm supposed to be doing to you know to um get my feet on the ground and get pointed in that direction. I think after doing something for as long as that, it's it, it's a little disconcerting to have what you might perceive as nothing to do, quote-unquote, after having all the stuff to do that we've done um, and then figure out w- what the doing looks like going forward and then disip- creating a discipline for yourself to accomplish your goals. So I have two last questions for you. And before I ask them, I just want to say thank you for your time. I always love your wisdom. <laughs> I do. I, I, I listen to you and I think, yep, you're so wise and I so benefit. <laughs> the, um, but I, I'm you. wondering, you're welcome, if rather than me sitting across from you right now was maybe one of your younger kids or you as a young woman before you ever left your home, what would you tell yourself about your, you know, how to go into life that you know now and you wished you would have known or a piece of advice? Well, a few things. Um, One of them is talk to other people. I spent a lot of years living in my own head and never um, cultivated friendships with women so much that um, the way many women today do. And I think that's valuable uh, because it gives you more people to talk to. My my own orientation is, you know, internal rather than external. So, um, and I've moved around so much in my life that you have to be intentional about making new friends and places. So so talk to people and, and hear other perspectives besides your own. Um, and one thing that I learned is that you can be absolutely terrified and do it anyway, whatever it is that um, you don't have to wait not to be afraid to do it. And um, and I've, and that has stood me in good stead more than on more than a few occasions because I've been pretty scared in, at times. Uh, and, and another one is uh, a, a phrase that I saw once and it really it really resonated with me. Um, it will all be okay in the end and if it's not okay, it's not the end. <laughs> And um, it made me laugh to start off with, but uh, at the end of it all, you know, no matter what soup you've gotten yourself into or somebody else has gotten you into, you're going to get out of it. You know, it's, it's it'll be okay. And um, because of because grace is grace exists in the world. You know, we have the grace or the courage or the whatever it is that we need to get through whatever is to a place that feels safe for us. And I, and that's, I think that's encouraging to know in the dark hours of the night. Um, I read a book once by Corey Ten Boom that my daughter gave me, you know, when I was, when I was um, in a dark place. And she was uh, a woman in uh, World War II um, who rescued Jewish refugees. And uh, when she was a small child, 
her father had taught her, you know, a lesson to her. They were taking the train someplace, and um, she was about seven years old, I guess, and they were just about to get onto the platform when her father gave her the train fare in her hand and closed her fingers over it and said to her, I'm giving you this money just in time. This is your, your train fare. And he said, God does that for us. He gives us what we need just in time. And that just really moved me. So when you when you think about what you need, you'll get it. And you know you will. And that that gives me comfort. So you just answered my last question without me having to ask the last question. So just so the people listening understand what that last question was, was have you been told something, heard something, or learned something that really became a moment that mattered for you? And That's interesting. We, yeah. And the other thing is something that my husband says. Um, before you speak, is what you're going to say an improvement over silence? <laughs> Phrased otherwise, you don't necessarily have to have an opinion on everything. <laughs> Which was great coaching for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I have those two things um, on my wall, you know, uh, and uh, they both saved my bacon on a few occasions. <laughs> I will be taking those from you, so thank you. That Both of those will be my yeah. moments that matter for today, yeah. as you are, because this is... Um, big day for me for my first official podcast and I couldn't think of anybody I'd rather be sitting across from in the coach to have coffee and tea with and to just be on a journey with so thank you very much my friend I am very honored thank you for me thank you for asking so that's it for this week's episode if you liked what you heard please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.